It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And special guest appearance by brother-in-law, Adam. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be back. And we are going to, at long last, put out our discussion on the finale of the first season of HBO's Westworld. This one was called The Bicameral Mind. Bicameral Mind? Yep. Got it. Next. Let's talk about Maeve and her squad goals this episode. Dude, she has some really lofty squad goals. And I got to tell you, of all the squads, I'd like to be on Maeve's. She's got some really good characters. She, she got to pick them, you know? That is the key of a good squad, picking your own, right? I guess it depends on whether you're on the ins or the outs on that squad, because <laughs> some of those players had a specific role to play. <laughs> Yeah, but they loved it. They embraced their roles, man. If they were chaos, they just they were chaos. You know, if they were mayhem, they were mayhem, right? They just <laughs> did it. They, I loved it. They brought it. it. Loved, loved. So we started off with Sylvester doing exactly what we thought was going to happen from the last episode when we saw Maeve and Hector burning alive in that tent. Then he had to come back and rebuild them from scratch, which was perfect because we actually saw him doing the skeleton and he actually mentioned the c6 portion that we were all really wondering if they were going to be able to address i was kind of surprised that there was an element of the construction part where they laid out sort of like legos parts of of the of the skeleton and then dipped them in the white chocolate and that started the <laughs> the the hardening the process the creamy yes. goodness <laughs> right oh my gosh well so how did you think it worked they just pulled out a full skeleton and then went to town on that no i thought it was 3d printer the whole way i, I guess but um it makes sense maybe they maybe the bones are one thing and the 3d printer makes the other stuff well it makes sense though that they would have just individual bones in the butcher shop because if they had an injury and they just need to replace a patella they just want to replace the patella. They right. don't need to go scoop to scoop out the old one, scoop it out, <laughs> right. and put a new one in. Exactly. Did you guys feel like the C six was dealt with in that moment? Like, did he remove the worry with the C six, or did he not? Could you guys tell? I bought it. We think he went through with the plan. Oh, without a doubt. Although we opinion. all laugh about like, why do they have any vertebrae without that C six lying about? Right. That should be a very large pile, actually. If they if they've made all <laughs> the, the removals, <laughs> right? <laughs> Definitely. No, I, I, you know, I think that you can look at the elevator scene. If you question at all whether or not the C six was actually replaced, I mean, the fact that she could get on and and he couldn't. Exactly. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Right. I thought it was very force fieldy at that moment. You're talking about Hector couldn't get mm -hmm. on. It was very force field. Like he like bonked his nose practically like, oh, yeah. I can't go any further. So yeah, it kind of illustrated that exact point. Maeve wakes up to Felix and immediately is like, it's still me in case you're wondering. I'm not at all messed up by me, my towering inferno moment there. And she's, she's ready to party. She <laughs> has figured out how to just programmatically liberate Hector and Armistice. And deal with park security simultaneously with the little tablet. So she turns yeah. all this park security into dullards. It was interesting that she was able to undo the you can't hurt actual people rule with just a couple of button flips on the on the iPad there. Well, this is not like an Asimov's law at all. Well, that's I've, that's been getting to me all season long, <laughs> uh -huh. actually. What? Tell us. Well, because in 
Asimov's laws, those rules about hurting people are supposed to be just intrinsically woven into into robots. She just goes boop, boop, boop on the on the thing with buttons that were just right there and available. Right, she just you disables know? it, basically. Kill humans, don't kill humans. Kill humans. <laughs> you know, that shouldn't even be an option. Mm -hmm. But apparently it is. As we learn Maeve's story, we could think perhaps those buttons weren't so accessible at some point, and maybe now they've been made accessible. Maeve's story may have taken a turn, which may have made these buttons suddenly appear on those tablets. She is key in waking up Bernard, who we find out he did die, but it was all part of the plan. Just that he would die, and then that Maeve would bring him back to life with, with, her, with her squad. And that part was really important because that sort of gave them like that trust moment where then for from Maeve's point of view, they kind of had a bond there. You know, she brought him back and there was sort of like a reason why Bernard might be kind of on her squad at that point. Like it didn't seem like Bernard was going to call the cops in at that moment. Like he actually might go with it. And he could give us a little more background, a little more exposition about, you know, hosts having woken up in the past and that Maeve's actually one of the. He says only a handful have an awakening and most of them just go mad. So the fact that you're not is makes you, I guess, probably a very teeny tiny slice of hosts ever. Right. That evolution finally kind of worked a little bit and that, you know, maybe she actually popped to the top. Let's talk about everyone's awakenings. So we had Armistice and Hector's awakening, which were two very different situations up there. Do you think that they awoke like Maeve awoke, or do you think that they're just kind of let loose? Uh-huh. Uh, I'll go with let loose. Yeah. I'll go with let loose uh, because they both had their own um, really crazy scenario. So old Armistice pulls the fear I have for all little children and dealing with others who ever have a finger near my face, which is like my gut instinct is I do want to bite it all the way off and just like, I don't know why. I just do. I'm a biter. I well, now you it. see what that looks like. That, yeah. yeah. No, actually, it, it's healthy for me to have seen that because now I know that would be wrong and it would be gross. But you make us so, turn it down so you don't know what it sounds I like. Because I don't want to hear the squealing. It spooks me out. But honestly, I have like a thing. If you start to put your finger near my mouth, I like I'll, I, I will like instantly try to bite it. <laughs> I don't know what my problem is. So it's true. Even I've done it to little children and they've cried because I bite it too hard. So I have to be cautious with it. But now that I've seen what a real biting off of the finger and then shoving it into someone else's mouth looks like, I feel I'm cured of any kind of fantasy of wanting to bite someone's finger off. Mm, that's it real. looks horrible. Scared straight story there, people. Hector has a completely more curious Now he's situation. totally justified. <laughs> In his actions. Exactly, exactly. Well, what did you two boys think of this mess? Because I thought this was bizarro. I thought uh, the technician, Destin or Dustin, I'm not sure We don't sure know. Which. We're just going to call him D-Bag because he uh, just was. I thought he was pert near to doing lots worse to Hector, you know, mm -hmm. violating and such. Dude, oh, yeah. can I just say like a couple words to that? lube on his hands <laughs> got me real scared about well, what we were going to see next. He came prepared. He did. He did. He had a mission. So clearly he does this all the time. Mm -hmm. Poor Hector has to put up with getting pawed all over his chest. You know he's awake with his eyelids closed, just his eyelids. <laughs> right. So you know he's sitting there like freaking fuming about this dude. He took matters into his own hands. 
I thought it was amazing when Armistice throws the other dude through the glass and D-Bag turns around and let's say his apron is a little out of sorts at the waist <laughs> area because there's been some activity. I loved how they just like followed through with everything that was happening in that scene. They kept it very real of what would happen. And I think Hector's response of stabbing him through the back, beautiful, beautiful ending for old D-Bag. Rough way to go. That looked like a bone saw sort of thing. It, it did. Just yeah. being jabbed. Through mm-hmm. the body. It's more of a, a saw, a back mm-hmm. and forth kind of tool. But that, that did... was a push your guts out the front, not, yeah. a, not a stab your way through. Um, no. If you two birds were somehow frozen and some man was doing that to you, you don't think it was mm-hmm. justified for Hector to shove whatever he wanted into D-Bag? Oh, uh, yeah, that's fine. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that's maybe not the tool I might have chosen myself if I were Hector. <laughs> I think you'd grab whatever tool was available. So then the whole crew now we have Felix, Armistice, Maeve, Hector, everybody, we're heading on down to cold storage, and that is when we find Bernard, and now we kind of find out, too, that we need to say goodbye to Clem. I mean, they didn't even try to turn her back on. I think Maeve was just coming to say goodbye. Yeah. I honestly think she just wanted to see her one last time and say goodbye. I know it seems sentimental, but... I don't think they they had anything else they were going down there for. Did you guys think there was anything else? Well, Maeve saw her get the drill to the nose, so I think Mm -hmm. she had some idea that she she was a goner. As far as they're concerned. And of course, we have an idea they might have been doing something else in cold storage with everyone else. At least maybe, you know, whispering (laughs) some words in people's ears down there. Something like that. Mm. I also love the scene down there when Felix realizes that Bernard is a host. (laughs) And then he starts doing the the robot dance. Like, (laughs) do I do do better at (laughs) robot dancing than I thought I should? She's like, shut your hole. Like, you are not... You're a freaking human. Totally valid concern on Felix's part. Agreed, agreed. I love it. I also like that we got a little bit of a glimpse that security was starting to get an idea that there was a temperature change in cold storage, but we saw that Maeve's alterations to the programming was working because they weren't alerted enough to actually come and try to do anything. We moved forward and we moved into this area where it says SW on the wall. Wow, you guys, what the what what? What do we think SW stands for? Samurai world seems too obvious. I, that's where I, immediately where I went with it. I mean, I don't know how you couldn't with, with the visuals what, that you with were the given. Samurais? Exactly, exactly. I have no idea why, but if, if we stick with our direction then it's like South World, which South doesn't make sense. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but if it's Shogun World, Shogun oh, is coming. I like up. it. I I've like heard it. Shogun a lot. Now, mm-hmm. lots of people we've talked about from the very beginning. There's a lot of the samurai stories that are mixed with Western stories. There's a lot of influence right. there. Mm-hmm. And we know that that comes through a lot in many different movies close to your heart. Oh, sure. Star Wars. I was going to say High Noon. Spell's <laughs> favorite right after right. Star Wars. Right. The Hidden Fortress, Akira Kurosawa, also made. Seven Samurai, which is when turned into a cowboy movie with Sergio Leone's Magnificent Seven. Same same story. Seven heroes of dubious background off to save the day. Hey, let's add that up. Do we have seven in our story? Well, not all writing together. Not yet. I'm going to throw that out there, y'all. By the end, we might have seven in our squad somehow that are all riding together in some way. Don't know who those seven are yet. May have to wait to see That would it. make sense mm-hmm. though, right? Yeah, it would be a nice call out to something because they've been calling out to John Ford, the Western director, this whole time, but Sergio Leone, like I said, he, he lifted that story from Akira Kurosawa, so that'd be kind of an interesting bridge. 
Were you yeah. guys surprised to see that there was another world? We've talked about this before that we thought this would be the natural thing for them to do season to season is to explore the next world. So we even talked about this, I want to say even maybe back to episode one, we said, you know, we may do Westworld in season one, but we may do another world season two and how it actually gives them the opportunity to lose whole cast members that were integral to one season and then be able to bring in all new characters and all new storylines every season. It gave them a really great platform for that. Somehow I didn't think that the other world would be in such close proximity that they just needed to kind of go to a different building on campus or whatever it is they wound up doing. Then then they were there. Yeah, I thought it was nice. It was cool to give us that tiny you know, glimpse into the larger picture. But in a way too, um, it's just exactly like Disney, like how we've discussed. Once you're older and once you kind of realize how close things really are to one another, how really you are just a hop, skip and a jump and suddenly you're like, I'm in a hotel, now I'm in Epcot, now I'm standing here and I'm all the back doors and all the different tunnels and stuff really are very interconnected. And suddenly what seemed like a very far walk from one place to another really was all connected quite easily and was much smaller than you thought when you were like a little kid, more innocent kid. I completely thought Hector and Armistice like completely stole all of these scenes. The part where they find the machine guns, Armistice's reaction was amazing when she was like, oh, like that. And she grinned. <laughs> it, was, it was a little girl. Oh my God. Girl. And she grinned so huge. I mean, I tweeted out like all I want for Christmas is to feel like Armistice did the first time she shot a machine gun. Just that feeling of oh, utter like awe of the whole thing. I thought they were amazing. I thought that their chemistry was amazing. Them deciding that Armistice was going to go off and be in charge. And when Hector goes, you don't get to have all the fun. That was as sexy as stuff gets on TV for me. When it's like more <laughs> that play, the way that he speaks and his, he has like a charm about him that is very amazing. Something that like the William Dolores relationship never had, but he had with Maeve and he even had with Armistice, just that play where you want to see what that character is going to do next. Loved it, loved it. And they did a great job of really highlighting that in all of these scenes. I didn't get exactly that, <laughs> but the, the scene- Oh, you were lured in when they by were, Hector. When, uh, when they were playing dead, basically playing possum uh -huh. in, that, in that room and, and he, the guard notices, why would this guy be wearing one of our uniforms? And Hector just turns and looks just at him. Just smiles right at him, right? right? It, you, that, was, that was pretty perfect. It was yeah. like utterly charming, right? You're like, you are hot shit. And I just love you, Hector. You're awesome. Right. I'm sure the guard was falling in love. Right oh, exactly. There. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a, Hector. <laughs> as the audience member, I was falling in love completely with him. Loved it. Loved it. So Maeve changing into this streetwear outfit that Felix gives, what else do you think might have been in that bag that Felix gives to her? She has kind of that leather briefcase and he says, I got everything you asked me for. That kind of implied it was more than just a tank top dress from The Gap. I mean, I think it's information. How to act normal. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's proprietary information from the park. Uh, you know, I, I think they definitely lead on to that. She's been programmed to do this. Okay, so we skipped over a portion of the information that was given to her a little bit earlier than this exact scene. And obviously, we cannot leave without talking about this part. Bernard shows her the tablet. And says, Maeve, have you questioned once why you think you are, are trying to go on this brand new adventure? 
And she completely rejects the idea that she could have been programmed with this new narrative called Escape. And he's the one that flips the tablet and shows, which has been screenshot all over the internet, of all the various steps from collecting up other hosts to how she's going to get out of actual like HQ there and then infiltrate the mainland. Everything that's there implies that, okay, this all your strings have been pulled, Pinocchio. You are no more of a real boy than you ever were. Do you guys think that she is no more of a real boy than she ever was? Or is she actually making any choices at this point? At this point in our retelling of the narrative? Or this point meaning like we've seen the whole thing? I mean, just period. Like, has Maeve made any choices at all? Is she... Yeah, her, her final choice is her own, I believe, that she makes in the episode. I disagree a little bit. I mean, I definitely agree her final choice is her own choice, but I think she's made other choices along the way, and I think that she was in the process of the awakening when she was chosen by the shadowy figures of Delos for this mission to become like the smuggler or the trafficker for this information out of the park. And so when they programmed over her, they were programming over an awoken or an awakening host. So very interesting. So Adam, you are suggesting that this was not Ford's narrative. You are suggesting that this is a different entity who mm -hmm. has broken into the programming and that Maeve is the Abernathy scapegoat guy who is actually leaving the park with information. Correct. That's very interesting because the footprint that the person leaves says Arnold. And I think we are to be led to believe that Ford was just logging in as Arnold. But that is just an assumption. And lots of assumptions we've made this season were wrong. Very true. <laughs> you know? I think I'm not gonna say a lot of assumptions that we made this well, that season we, that, are wrong. That the narrative kind of wanted you to make. Right. I'm gonna say that yes, that there were they, misled. They yes. were purposely misleading mm -hmm. you to different red herrings for sure. So I like the idea that we have been talking a lot with Hale and Sizemore about the idea that Abernathy is the mule of information. But in reality, it might very well be that you're right. Maybe Maeve was the one that had actually been given all this information and it was done in a secretive way. Now, do you think it's so, possible? So it's like a third player? I don't know. We're just throwing this out there. Is it possible that Abernathy is Hale and Sizemore's mule? Is it possible that Maeve is perhaps Delos's mule, which is a different, different group of people, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps? Is it possible that Ford wanted Maeve to get the information out for his own reasons? Like, is she his mule? But it's very possible, given that Maeve definitely seems to have been downloaded with all the information in the park, that she is being used by someone else just to get out of there. I like the idea of this whole thing being Ford staging a death, but not having the means to carry on his work or whatever necessarily he'd want to do after he resurfaced, right? So needing to get the information out of the park, like Adam's suggesting that I never thought of under this guise of Arnold is, is pretty interesting. It just depends on who's doing who's doing what. <laughs> and then she totally messes it exactly. up. Exactly. <laughs> and that's why I say the program's written over an awakening robot. Okay, so let's just get mm -hmm. to the end of Maeve. So Maeve gets to on the train. She sees the mother-daughter sitting across from her. She's getting those warm fuzzies about something there. It's It's kind of triggering things inside of her again. Probably those old reveries. She has been given the Park One 
information about where her daughter is in the park by Felix. So now she's kind of got this other thing picking at her in her pocket there. And you guys are suggesting that she breaks the loop that we are not sure who set her on yet. Maybe Ford, maybe Delos. We don't know. Somebody has been trying to use her as a mule to get her out of the park with the information. And we are going to assume collect her on the other side. Mm-hmm. So if Ford dies within Westworld, it certainly doesn't matter. Doesn't mean Ford can't live out in the real world. Well, Ford's excellent about making fake humans. Then let's assume that somebody's doing something. So then Maeve coming back in on the Westworld scene and instantly the lights going out when she does that. Was that our indicator that like plot foiled by Maeve's? free will i'm i'm of the belief when the lights went out and uh and we had seen some of the party scene already that mave is going to be the queen bee of the uprising i think she needs to come back just to fulfill that role correct if she was supposed to follow the program then she was supposed to leave i mean that mainland infiltration line being the last one that we're allowed to see in that screenshot that everyone has seen on the internet suggests she's supposed to leave but she could be main tr- mainland infiltration with an army behind her. Yeah. So all of you guys know we are planning on doing a season one full wrap up as a secondary podcast after this one. So we want to make sure that we discuss everything in the finale here, but we will have a chance to kind of mull over our thoughts and give it another go because certainly we have till 2018 for season two. So we got a little time to stew on this, rewatch the whole series with the information that we now know and give you guys maybe another go at this. But right now, we're going to all think about this. Who else had a reason, a motivation to get Maeve out of the park? Who else would have wanted to pull her back in? I have this weird um, like voice inside of me that my dad always says, which is basically like, if you leave your hometown, right, and you go do all these adventures, but ultimately you choose to be buried back in your hometown, it's like you never left. Like you always were who you always were back in that hometown. And a little that makes me feel that way about Maeve. Like no matter how bold she talks, no matter how big she is, at the end of the day, she is the same prairie woman with the daughter as she ever was. And so no matter how hot talky she was going to be about, I'm getting out of here. I'm independent. At the end of the day, she kind of wants to be buried with her little girl right back in her little house. That part, though, I'm not going to say that that makes her a host or like in her loop. I'm going to say that makes her very human. To want to go back to home, if you will. Lots to think about old Maeve. I adored her squad and all their adventures in this final episode. But we have a lot more to talk about with Man in Black and Dolores and that big reveal. Man in Black. Otherwise, Can we just call him William now, for God's sake? Thank you. Can we just call him William? Because I hate saying Man in Black. (laughs) Because I, I, if you guys go back and listen, I say Men in Black half the time when I'm meaning to say Man in Black. So... We just call him William now. All right. William. Should we call him William the Elder? William the Younger? <laughs> William the Gray. Oh, that'd be like William the Wrinkled. <laughs> oh, my God. The dude, Dolores is like slammer rama when she's like calling him a fossil, essentially. <laughs> oh, she's hardcore. We finally get our big fat reveal. We start off with a little bizarro shave scene between d and w (laughs) we're gonna say (laughs) dolores and william the elder what'd y'all think of that scene did you feel like she just had like a real good chance of slitting his neck right then oh it was it was a proof of his confidence and uh, and a test of the system like in the in the walking dead this season when when negan hands rick his bat and says hold lucille for me same kind of deal Mm -hmm. but he would have seen her cut 
Logan on the face with a knife 30 years ago. That's true. So that is pretty bold. (laughs) Well, I mean, and I think he's kind of proven now that, you know, he's throwing caution to the wind saying kind of F all of this. Like, what are you going to do to me? I'm an old guy. And so, and not what are you going to do to me as in you can't hurt me, but like, if something happens, it happens. I definitely feel that way. And he wants to keep giving opportunities for them to lash out. So yes, that, that yes. if they will, good, all the better for him. Because he does try to push them. He wants somebody to fight with, you know, he wants somebody to fight back. So he just keeps pushing them in the chest, like as many different ways as he can figure out. A lot of this story is mixed up with Dolores having waking dream type flashbacks because of where she is and what happened there. And so we get to see the now, the 30 years ago, and the 35 years ago all kind of heaped on top of each other back to back. We do. We're going to try to to just explain the information that we got out of that. We're not going to really discuss like scene by scene exactly. The whole background scene that we get for William and how he became the man in black is really just that he was absolutely on a mission to find Dolores and his heart is getting broken incrementally as they go through this search for her. So everything from the soldier scene where basically he learns that he's, he's probably been like gang raped and beaten by all these soldiers. And the guy wasn't even sure if she was left alive or not. That's how bad the scene was. So little parts of him just kind of kept getting chipped away about worry and grief about her all the way until we get to our point of finding her again after so long and becoming sort of this ruthless, relentless fighter to try to find her. And when he finally gets back to the point of finding her. What we predicted is what happened. She was simply reset. And had no memory of him, at least not that she could dredge up right then. His heart, though, oh, my God, when he saw her and he smiled and his eyes were full of tears and he had the hat in his hand. We hadn't seen him put that Mm -hmm. hat on at this point. We saw him pick it up, but he hadn't put it on. And he's like walking towards her and he just watches this scene play out with this other man. And he just realizes that that she is not there, that everything that happened to her between the two of them didn't matter. When he sees her. And sh- and the milk falls, and then he- she looks at him, and that's when the voiceover says that she looked as beautiful as she ever had, and all that. I could swear. I mean, they they get right in Ed Ed Harris's face, and you can see every little nook and cranny and pore and all that when they make that scene happen. Her face is almost glowing. It is the <laughs> sunlight's the behind mm-hmm. her. Yeah, the sunlight is behind her, and they do make it a point too to show their both of their reflections in the store window. And I remember when we were talking back in a, in a previous episode where Dolores pauses and stares at the reflection of herself in that same store window. And it made me think, you know, was she having some sort of memory of William's reflection perhaps being in there as well? But at the time, not not remembering, you know, not remembering everything, but with the reveries let, allowing her to remember, suddenly maybe that's what that window scene and staring at her reflection was about. Mm, yeah, that's a good hmm. connection. But... Causes him to just basically snap. It's the ultimate jilted lover. It was terrible. I mean, I think that all the time that he had spent looking for her. Leaving a trail of bodies behind him in Westworld. And just being so certain that when he saw her at the end of everything, she was just going to run to him and everything was going to be just great. Even worse than that, I feel like she did it over and over again. As he tells this story of, you know, basically every time 
she doesn't remember it just it breaks his heart that much more all the way until that final moment between them when she's still not understanding who he is and he says like you know thanks for thanks for just continuing to to help me understand my disillusion that you're not who I think you should be and you don't remember me and they even show that like he actually kept going back and kept doing the loop with her she's laying down over by that campfire and he once again offers her the drink and all that like he it was almost like a like someone who is sick has maybe Alzheimer's or something. And he 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 tried at the beginning to just be kind and and walk along with her over and over, doing the loop with her over and over to try to hope maybe this time you're gonna remember who I am over and over. And he just, you know, was losing it and losing it along the way. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really credible the way that they showed that it wasn't just a one moment in time moment when he when he totally broke in half. He actually kept trying. He kept trying. And it just was more like, he said, like, finally, I, I just kind of got tired of you, you know, tired of going through this. The whole time that he's been searching for the maze this season, he's been looking for something true, which is interesting because finally Dolores has the moment where she can remember and she can admit to him that she remembers how they mentioned that all their memories are basically like perfect. So they don't really have like a real timeline. She remembers William as young William and here's old William and she can't quite get that idea. But that is what she is calling her own true love, even though, you know, she'd never really showed much, much no. uh, affection no. toward him. So he's looking for something true, which is I thought ultimately what was the bigger crusher for him now as a as a much older man. I mean, he's gotten over that Dolores bit obviously, with his ability to smack her around and all that pretty easily and kill her. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he was searching for this maze. And if you think about it, it'd be like if in today you were like going to a car race and you're like, I'm looking for an oil change. And they're like, but oil changes aren't for you. You're like, tell me how I get an oil change. (laughs) <laughs> that is the weirdest analogy ever. But it's but a it's, car race. Why do you just not go to a mechanic? No, nah, because the car race would be more like more like Westworld, like like uh, oh, like a, the cars are playing. Right, right. So and so you're in the pit crew trying to get out. He, he, was, he was talking to the car. Trying yeah. To, oh, you're right. so you're talking. That's how insane. So you're like yeah. yelling at a Mustang, right. like exactly. how do I get an oil change? <laughs> right, right. It's the same kind of <laughs> wow, idea. Okay. I think that's why why Ford was so amused in that in that uh, tavern scene. It's like, well, I don't want to stand in your way of self-discovery. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, okay. I'll go with all of that. So we do need to talk a lot about the maze and about what this ended up being. I do, before we leave our William Logan situation for what happened in the past, we do need to stop in on old Logan and discuss how his story came to an end this season. So the way that William treated Logan Riding by dragging... Well, dragging him along with a rope a la El Lazo and Man in Black was a pretty awesome throwback for us to all that we've seen this entire season. We've seen Man in Black haul around El Lazo Mm. by a rope. The modern timeline foreshadowed 30 years ago. For us, that's the way it worked. Yeah. And so to see that, that was pretty great. Now, what do you guys think about the way that this ended up where basically Logan is nude (laughs) with his black feather (laughs) and he is going to be shot off into the wilderness, like you say, Adam, right off into the sunset. So so tell me, Adam, if, if, if you and I went on vacation... Well, and and you and and I arranged for you to ride off into the sunset mm-hmm. naked Nude. with a feather, and 
I came back and I and I told your dad, yeah, he went fucking nuts. <laughs> he rode off into the sunset naked, naked. with a feather. With he, a don't black, forget my feather. With a black he was feather. A, he was an animal the entire time we were there. <laughs> and then, but I'm assuming they collect him at some point. And they're like, well, you have a good time. And, and then, and he's like, where's my feather? Do you think his feather turns you, into like turns into like Wilson, like from Castaway? He's uh, like, wait, where's Blackie? Where's my feather? So do you think your dad would then mm-hmm. be like, well, I don't need your side of it, Adam? Exactly. <laughs> and, no, Paul, and, 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 and Paul, you yes, could just exactly. have the entire business exactly. and run it however exactly. you choose. No, no, probably probably not. Um, <laughs> you know, I was I was a little surprised at Logan's demeanor, I guess, while sitting on the horse naked. Uh, he did seem a little bit deranged, and so I wonder, you know, starvation and dehydration and all of that kind of stuff. But like, even... is it possible that his like lunacy was authentic yes, at that point? Like, exactly. did William effectively drive him crazy? Exactly. Maybe exactly through Maybe. torture and whatever, and you know, making him ride a horse naked. I don't know. Could be. Bad. I'm sure that has its own his, perils. I bet <laughs> exactly. his. I bet his undercarriage is a real mess I bet. by the uh, end. <laughs> to say well, the least. Here's the other thing. I feel very strongly that Logan feels like he could be hanging out with that group with the Minotaur and all those people who have like the bones on their necklaces and shit. And so there's some part of me, I know they call that Wyatt's gang or whatever, but there's some part of me that still kind of feels like the Black Feather, the whole Ghost Nation, which we've all, they didn't bring up at all this time. Um, there's still these factions out there that have been living around in the woods, doing their own weird thing that to me, I don't know, Logan could somehow get sucked into their worlds. Either one. He could he could have been the one inside that Minotaur outfit, or he could be out in Ghost Nation doing something weird. But any which way, that just feels like the black feather, the fringes, the whole acting just wild out in the wilderness. I think they collect you ultimately though, at the end. They just come in and be like, Ah, oh, sir, yeah, your 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 ticket ran out. Sir. Exactly. It costs money to be there. Why are they going to let you just stay indefinitely? Maybe he just gets absorbed into the group, I'm saying. Maybe he plays an important role. Right. Like those movies where people spend the night in the department store by mixing in with the, <laughs> no, stuffed the animals. mannequins. Right. It's like Pat. Right, no, it's like, it's like Corduroy when he goes and he sleeps on the mattresses upstairs in the department store. Right. Exactly. And, and then the old woman sews his button back on. It's the same thing. Some old woman gives Logan some When you were clothes. reading that to me last night, I was thinking, you know what? That's that's really appropriate. And I was like, Corduroy lays down on the mattresses and notices his buttons are the same as the buttons on the mattress. You felt you felt right to sleep. It's an adorable tale. But so here's Logan losing his mind. Obviously, no matter what happens, we know that ultimately whatever this plan is that William had actually worked out because I mean, mm-hmm. we know he's the head of a powerful company. We know we haven't heard hide nor hair of an elder Logan in this story so far. So I don't think Logan's dead by any means. I do think we're going to hear something about him, but um, they left his storyline wide open. He could be a samurai next next season. <laughs> he could be at home just going like somewhere in the corner talking about naked and feathers and everyone's <laughs> like, poor Logan, eat your soup through the straw. <laughs> like we don't know anything could happen. So one of the, obvious major storylines of our entire adventure with man in black slash William is the maze. What is the maze? 
Who has the secret of the maze? Who is the maze actually for? Would we find out? It is interesting that he even heard about the maze, isn't it? It kind of is. Who the hell even whispered the maze in his ear? There are those symbols that have been showing up around Westworld for some reason. And there's the folklore of the native people that they never really named. And Ghost Nation was one group, but then there was those other more peaceful group that they just kind of... Who whipped. weren't dressed all in white. Yeah. <laughs> Not and dressed, sorry, painted all white. Some of that that folklore kind of stuff always more belonged to those people than... The- then I'm going to go with that that's where he actually heard it from. I'm going to go with that since he went around and he actually visited all the little towns and that he says that Wyatt is the only character he never met. It makes me think that if they put the maze into the folklore, now they're carrying the little dolls and yeah. they had all this little these stories and stuff that it would make sense that he would have gone on some adventure having to do with them, maybe stayed in their camps or whatever at some points then. He would have heard something about the maze, right? I'm going to go with that's perhaps where he heard it from. Yeah. That little girl I mean, could have been telling Exactly. Secrets. That's what I was going to say. There, you know, maybe he was standing alongside, you know, another another host when the host was getting the message about the maze. He certainly does a lot of poking around. I guess he does cut uh, old uh, Kissy's hair off and, and finds the picture of the maze. Which, again, why? Now looking back at the whole season, why did... Kissy have the maze game tattooed on the inside of his scalp. I mean, if this really was just Arnold's kid's game symbolizing the maze of consciousness, do what did they have to tattoo it on the inside of Kissy's scalp? Excellent question. It is. Why? I don't know. I don't I don't feel like we get any big fat answers on that one, and I don't think we're gonna get any big fat answers. No, to be fair, in real life information, Kissy, the person who played that character died in real life and they had said they had more storyline for that character but because he died in real life they had to just kind of dissipate his story with any key parts going to other characters so maybe there was a true reason why that was tattooed inside his scalp and we're never going to get to know but that was like true life circumstances came into play there it makes sense maybe maybe that's why he went and got lawrence you know because they didn't really need to make that lawrence that's true. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why some of it even got a little shaky with the Lawrence story about like, now who is he? Is he Lawrence or is he El Lazo? What the what the what? Yeah. Because you're right. He had Kissy. Hey, he was dragging Kissy along. He kind of, and then El Lazo did basically take Kissy's spot. Mm-hmm. So that kind of makes sense. Lawrence did. So so here we are with Man in Black slapping around old Dolores trying to figure out Where's the damn maze, Dolores? Where's the damn maze, Dolores? That leads us to the cemetery. Dolores finds a cross with her name on it. Now, what do you guys think this is all about? Why would they have any host names on any cemetery gravestones? You were saying, why wasn't it like the Haunted Mansion at Disney with like riddles and shit on it? Like funny sayings and puns. We know that the town was the original training site for the hosts and then Ford decided to bury it and then Ford decided to unbury it. Maybe it's part of Ford's own, I don't know, twisted take on things or or maybe it was just since it was always since it had been buried, then no, that doesn't make any sense because the unburier doesn't seem so meticulous that it would have left grave markers in, in very good shape. I feel like the unburying of Sand City <laughs> is a construction marvel unto itself. Like, I don't really get how any of that worked, frankly. I think that's why they didn't show it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it just, it doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. But 
we have these gravestones. They they do look just like the the crosses that we had seen in previous fields with bells on them included. Which you guys remember from previous podcasts we had discussed that they had added those bells with the string that goes down to the coffin. So in case somebody was still alive in the coffin because our old-fashioned medicine wasn't very good and if someone was actually in a coma and awoke, you know, a couple hours after they were buried, then some, they could like ring the bell, like, come and get me. I'm not here. I'm not really dead. You know, Dolores wasn't really dead. She had heard that ringing bell in her memories. And so it seemed like maybe there was a connection there of like seeing her name, the bell, the fact that she hadn't really offed herself because she can't really die, right? Can't really die. And that's what she mm-hmm. said, that she knew that the maze ended someplace she would never go or had never been. Generally speaking... Most are never going to die. Immortality, baby. This is where we end up scritch, scritch, scritching at the ground to find our little weird pig tin that keeps <laughs> popping up. And inside they find a representation of the maze. Yes. What do you guys make of this? Adam, do you remember games like this we had? Those little like puzzle games? Of course. Games? Long before Game Boy. A little tilt the thing. I kind of mm. liked the explanation that we heard from... Bernard? <laughs> I Bernard. guess I can try to remember. Was it Bernard or Arnold that actually Arnold? explained the idea where the ball... Well, the more you try to get it to the middle, sometimes it just like squiggles out to the outside and you kind of get well outside yourself. But that the whole point is to try to keep looking inward. And the whole idea that this initial thought that gaining consciousness would come from a pyramid shape was flawed and that really it was a spiraling shape inward. And the more that they understood, the more that they could learn and therefore have some introspection, I guess, right, Mm -hmm. about experiences but because the way that they constantly rolled back the host then they hadn't really ever had an opportunity to really gain any insight because you have to gain it through memories of experiences you have to sort of have a catalog of experiences and unfortunately what they kind of figured out was it wasn't really the good experiences that made you look inward it tended to be the really nasty ones the suffering as ford exactly sums up in one word do you guys think that that's true? Do you think that it's not really the celebrations and the good times that really make people who they are, but it's the the tragedies and the overcoming things that really were terrible or just, you know, maybe losing a, a parent or losing a child or having these kind of really sad moments in your life is really what makes up who you are? You do hear more often that something terrible happens to a person and that forever changed the path forward in their life. You hardly ever hear. You know, I went on vacation for a week, had parties every day. Everyone was loving me, and my life changed completely after that. You never hear that story. That's true. It wasn't like it was a wicked rager, and then... I think it's a a measure of magnitude. You know, when when you talk about, is it good or bad uh, events that really uh, make a person who they are, I think a person remembers all the good ones, and that does make them who they are, but it's it's a culminate, or it's an accumulation of those good ones that do... One really bad one can be much more impactful and uh, and really drive you know the character of a person. We've talked a lot about this on on our various podcasts, but if you just joined us for maybe just the finale, you guys know that Paul and I have three special needs kids, and certainly the premature birth of our twins would have been considered a difficult, challenging time in our lives. And so it 100% has shaped who we are now and things we do and how not only our day-to-day works, but our values, 
our goals, our perspective of what is something to get really upset about and what is something to be like, I can't even believe that parent over there is yelling at that kid over that when like, don't they get it? You know, life isn't about that. We have a bigger, bigger, bigger understanding of things than we would have had we not had kids that had extra challenges. So I definitely think that for William, the heartbreak of Dolores is who made him in, in this story. I'm sure that there's a lot of other characteristics here that played into who William was, but ultimately, I don't think he would have been this guy had he not had this long trail of crazy trying to find her and having these horrible moments and honestly worrying about her, like the emotional toll and killing all these people who had hurt her and that is who made him. But I do have a question for you guys. You know this whole concept about how it's like the place tells you who you who you really are. But somehow my question is how come those people or the who you really are rarely seems to be a kind-hearted, gentle soul who would never kill or hurt anybody? How come it like really is sort of just more this idea of like this place really strips you down of all the different things that keep you from ever being sort of more primal. But that, but is that truly like then who you are or is it just like... I think it's Ford's low opinion of humanity. Life is brutish and short. You know, there, there's volumes and volumes written upon the fact that if, when you do strip mankind down uh, and you do bring us to our most base natures that we're, we're going to fight. You know, we're going to fight for what we believe is ours. Ford mentions something about that. I mean, he created the park to tell his stories. And now he's come to say things like, you shouldn't count on us. You know, when he's mm -hmm. talking, talking to the hosts, you shouldn't count on us, meaning people. Exactly. You know, or when he's describing earlier in the season how humans have wiped out any, posed any kind of threat to them in their dominance of the globe, the... Neanderthals or other kinds of hominids, if you will. <laughs> Tudor was wicked when he said, do you know what happened to the Neanderthals? I never really thought about what happened to them. He said, we ate them. That's pretty wicked. Yeah. I didn't think about like, oh, well, how come the Neanderthals didn't just like keep having their own little <laughs> kind of race alongside of ours? Like, oh, we ate them. Oh, damn. <laughs> Is it negative to fight for your survival? Because it kind of feels like with William, I mean, he turned into a pretty twisted human. I mean, he's like punching a woman in the face just because, I mean, he doesn't have to punch Dolores ever, to be honest. And he, I mean, he could, he could still push on her to get information without slapping her around. So like, is he trying to say the true nature of any man, if he didn't have the law to contend with, is just to slap people and punch them in the face. Is that true? Is that the way we all would be all the time? Because he doesn't have to. It's not his survival. He can't die here. So what the heck? It's when you get to be kind of more... I don't know, not evolved, but that civilized, civilized, right. That, that you come up with that value system, I guess, that, that says once you have enough for yourself, you can, you can, you, sh you should think about others. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm with you on the, on that idea. But so that's why I'm saying though, but on a separate note from that, from survival unto itself, why would it be the nature of people to slap others around just for the sake of slapping them around? Is that true? The opposite of, you know, the civilized impact. You know, you become twisted through the same set of lessons, through the same set of experiences and all of that. Just, you know, the opposite of them through the same process. You could become very callous to how anyone else feels and 
you know, get off on, on hurting them. Do you think that it's possible how they were explaining to us that there are people who are hosts that have become awakened, but most of them go insane? Is it possible that Man in Black slash William is one of the ones that became awakened, right, by this true love moment, right? He felt like all the feelings you could feel, but he didn't go to a good place. He got twisted and weird, and he kind of spun out to the fringe and started just getting weird instead of, like, sort of coming back inside and finding this true purpose that would be beautiful or something. Instead, it seems like even he, in his search for purpose, kind of lost it and kind of went off on this crazy path. You mean applying the same logic but to a person? Right. right. Specifically to Man in Black slash William. Well, I am thinking that when he explains his life off park, how, how he's a, a, a man amongst men, basically, He's got to be just kidding himself. I mean, you can't have that much woman punching in your gut, in your in your soul, that you just what you just bleed it off a little a little at a time at Westworld, <laughs> and it never shows anywhere else in your whole life. Well, that's what I'm truly asking. I mean, you guys are two men in my life, and I'm truly asking you: Do you have that much woman punching in your soul that, like? If it wasn't for the constraints of society, you wouldn't just every conversation wouldn't end with a bunch of punching in someone's face because if there was no rules to hold you back and no one could hurt you, would you all become bullies? I don't think in my own soul, I'm telling you from my own self, I don't think I would punch people in the face even if the law didn't apply. I don't think I, I think I would find other ways to deal with people. But it seems like just like you're asking like, hey, you know, that doesn't ring true. What is he just punching people around? I don't know. Is he? Is that his true nature? Are all you guys face punchers? <laughs> I think everybody's different and everyone has their own limits, obviously. But, um, but you know, Paul Paul said it a little bit earlier that it's instinctual. And and if you want to make it biological, fight or flight is, is what it, you know, comes down to, adrenaline and all of that. I think everyone has the capability for it. You know, restraint is, is learned behavior. Right. Kids. Mm-hmm. Not every kid that that is a hitter kid grows up to be a hitter an abuser right yeah exactly it's just you gotta work on them (laughs) (laughs) so interesting so do you guys think that the maze wasn't meant for humans or do you think that the maze could be applied to humans and the idea that if you don't keep looking inward if you don't take every experience look inward that you could spin out to the fringes if you keep trying to act like it's other people's faults it's other people's problems and you don't keep looking into yourself you got to keep coming back to center. If you don't do that and you keep blaming others, you keep blaming other situations, you keep spinning out, does that mean you don't ever get to get well, to the highest I, levels? I think you're onto something, but it would need to be adapted in a way so that you are dealing in a person-to-person type interaction, not trying to take the maze, apply it to you as a person, but your interactions with programmed robots. You're not going to get anything out of that, which is what the man in black basically proves. Right. Which is why I think he spun out, which is why I think he never had that moment where he said, this wasn't about me finding my purpose in this world. I never stopped to think like what was inside me. And even his daughter said, we were all terrified of you, dad. We were all so scared to be around you. You could flip out at any second. And he didn't seem to have any understanding of what she was talking about, which sort of implied he didn't have a lot of self-awareness. Mm -hmm. In this whole thing. And so what I'm saying is that 
the world in a lot of ways, Westworld did kind of teach him that because you keep looking outside yourself, you keep trying to find the maze and find the answers outside of you, you're going batshit crazy. You're flying out to the outsides of what would be your maze because you're not looking inside and saying like, why was I looking for love in a robot world? Why, why wasn't I happy in my, in my, with Juliet? Why, why, like looking into him. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So like to me, I feel like the maze actually did apply to him and he did work the maze in a lot of ways. Only he had just got pissed that it was a game. <laughs> just kind of got, he was like, me, I don't want to look inside. I don't want self-awareness. Jerks. Well, that's true. He just what, wanted a puzzle. Yeah. Like an actual. You know, some hedges would have been handy, I think. So that he could physically find it. I mean, he was really looking for something, I think, tangible to go through. Yeah. Not a lot of soul searching, exactly. He felt like he had done that bit. And he thought that... Oh, I don't think he thought he done, he did that bit. I think he just didn't put any weight on that. I don't think he thought soul searching was the way to go. Because by all accounts, the robots don't have a soul. We're not soul searching in Westworld in that regard. He was looking for something tangible. They have souls as long as the hard drive stays up. You weasel. <laughs> I mean, th there that's true, like though. There is an actual gets, cable that says soul in, inside there. They, the way that they get downloaded and re-uploaded the bodies, that's, that is more or less the concept of reincarnation, isn't it? I mean... The soul carrying on from one body to another. We've talked a lot about the show sort of in terms of Christianity, the idea of Ford being God, there being this guy who's going to come back, Wyatt, who's going to walk the earth. And there's sort of this Jesus idea that was there. But it's interesting you bring up, do you think this is more of an Eastern religion here that maybe we're looking at in the idea of reincarnation and learning and getting to a higher level each time you suffer and learn, you move up? Was that really what we were supposed to be learning? Adopting a more global view probably would help because this is a big story. This is further in the future. Things religiously may be different, you know, than, than we're used to seeing now. And there's no reason for the storytelling to restrict it just to what we're used to seeing in terms of Western influence, especially now that they've shown us Samurai World. Samurai mm -hmm. World. <laughs> Might we be mushing to an Eastern <laughs> thought process? What do you think, Adam? I know you're very um, you know, I, learned. I, I think it's a little bit of everything, honestly. I think I think the story is about learning what a man is, and I'm not, you know, a woman is as well, whatever, but a person, learning what a person is and, and really, you know, what defines them and, and what makes them act the way they do. And you can't talk about that without talking about, you know, civilization or interpersonal communication skills or religion and, and all different types of religion. Each influence brings a, a different like kind of aha moment. And all of those will allow a person to kind of really enter their own maze and, and kind of uh, get a, one step closer to that center. Completely agree. So when they dig up this game and the man in black essentially frisbees it away and is like blah, blah, i hate that i hate that freaking game no tell me about the real maze not that <laughs> did you guys feel terrible for him like he just doesn't get it he's not gonna get it he isn't gonna get it this is just not happening yeah i mean he was starting to think say things like he was gonna need to cut dolores up to, to figure <laughs> out the maze oh. that did seem a little like william he's just become the boogeyman now. I, he has. I, th I think he's pissed at himself you know, I, I think he's realizing that there this isn't really there and he has done all these things and spent all this time and energy and effort to find something that's not actually there. 
And so he's going to take it out anywhere and say, no, 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 no. I'm not wrong here. And kind of throw a little tantrum. I definitely think that we got a good answers here in the cemetery in terms of, um, I liked that Dolores went back and had the memory of her standing in the hallway when Ford walks by and doesn't acknowledge her. I had said in previous episodes, like, what the hell? Is she like invisible? Why doesn't he see her? And he's going to go argue with Arnold whether or not they're going to open the park. And this makes total sense because the argument Robert was coming in with is I do not acknowledge Dolores as a peer or as a human. So the fact that he walks by her, not acknowledging her, even standing in the hallway, I thought somehow was she like not really there? Was she just, how is this? No, that was like, that was actually an answer to a question I had. Why didn't he acknowledge her in that hallway? That's why, because he was actually going to go argue that we're not acknowledging her. That's not a thing. <laughs> right. Okay, so then the second thing also was that Arnold's entire plan got laid out to us during the cemetery scene. The flashback of Arnold explaining to Dolores exactly what had to happen. She's going to have to shoot all the hosts. Then she's going to have to kill him. And that somehow is going to make sure that the park doesn't open and it's going to protect the hosts. Do you guys think that this was a viable plan? Do you think it was ever going to go down that if she mows down all the hosts, somehow that was going to cripple the park to the point where we couldn't open? If you want to take it kind of at face value there, mowing down all the hosts and then Arnold himself would cause a lot of work for for the crews, the butchers or whatnot down there. So it would definitely delay the park and probably raise inquiries as into how did this happen? How did, how did one robot come up and kill everyone? Just kind of sucks. I felt like Arnold's plan for as a genius man as he obviously was, I really felt like this plan was really odd and not well thought through because it didn't work and nothing was yielded as he had hoped. He didn't save the hosts from suffering for the next 30 some years. I think so. it was, I think it was a, a large symbolic suicide that was really what fueled him wanting to do that was he knew the park had a good chance of opening with having all the hosts dead. I mean, he says that right before he's shot. He says, he's, he tells Dolores that Ford can, he can fix all the, all the hosts, but he can't bring me back. There's probably some thought that he thought that he was so important that, that they couldn't move on without him. I think, I think the, the 60% of that, of his reason for wanting to commit suicide is that if they open, he couldn't live with what he had done, which I know you then say, but how would you get yourself into this situation? Where no, we discussed this. Up. We discussed this before. That uh, honestly, I do believe that Arnold had a little bit. They showed him so much in this episode. Tiny moments of him being like really soft with Dolores, even when she first opened her eyes, and he said like "Welcome to the world." He was just one moment away from going "Baby girl," <laughs> and I mean, he was just really. He was obviously a soft-hearted guy. He was a very gentle soul, and I mean. No, I I believe you when you say that he could have thought this was going to be about square dancing lessons, come see the lasso demonstration, and that he never intended this to be rape, pillage, and drink yourself But crazy. once he realized that that's what it would be, day in, day out, that he couldn't live with having created living beings, that that's all that they would have as a life. So then the larger closing of the park, what percentage of that is it? Well, I think he would have liked that to happen, but... You think he knew the plan wasn't going to work and the park was still going to open? If I was him, I don't know if I could go through with killing myself <laughs> on, a, on a maybe. No, not, not at all. I, I think he really believed that it was going to not open. Sad. 
Super sad. Well, so we got all that information that about how that actually all went down, but Man in Black is still not happy with this answer, so he does a lot more slapping around, but this time he gets some pushback. And Dolores, I loved her dragging his little <laughs> body up. I'm not quite sure why he she drug him all the way to the altar and then did that crazy wiggle arm twist thing to his one arm where she like threw it over her shoulder and broke it in a thousand pieces. Why do you guys think of all the things she drug him to the altar of the church? That has to mean something, right? I didn't even notice. I just looked like a brawl to me. She she drug him by the neck all the way down the aisle up to the altar. I'd have just punched his face in where he lay. I don't think I would have drug his body all the way up to the altar she, to she did seem to sh- exhibit a little super strength there i mean I she's like kind of host. A, right she's yeah. kind of a wisp of a thing but oh. she's just throwing him around oh yeah oh yeah but ultimately man in black gets the upper hand and totally has that last moment where you know she's gonna have her crying fit conversation where you know he's like whatevs i don't care shut it and she gets her swipe in about you're just the same as a dinosaur fossil old Mm. man (laughs) the knife in the belly moment of being like thanks for one more time let me down dolores (laughs) fillet your belly what followed was really one of those moments where where as a sci-fi guy i have to be like damn it because they broke their own rules teddy's bullets hurt William, old William. At least enough to knock him back. And knock him out for a second. Yeah. That was weird. Adam, what do you think? Why did that happen? I don't think they broke a rule. I mean, I think they've shown before in the the very, very beginning, you know, episode one where William gets shot on the street there, he does jerk his shoulder back to the left. The bullets have some type of impact. And if I guess... You know, a rifle would be stronger than a pistol. I like seven or eight shots out of the rifle. But, I mean, they also in the showed first episode, um, Teddy shoots Man in Black three times. And he just, uh, uh, he's, he's more annoyed by them sure. than he is hurt. And he kind of chuckles about so, it even. you know, since I want this to make sense and I don't want it to suck that they break their own rules, I was just chalking it up to... When Ford scripted Teddy to come save Dolores, he also scripted his gun to work better. That's that's all I could come up with. We know that they do have different levels of guns. So, I mean, certainly he could have done the thing just like, you know, Man in Black did in El Lozo's town and like, you know, clicked it over to like super, super barrel, right? Where it was a lot stronger. It's possible, I suppose. But I'm with you because the one thing you tell me is that when it comes to sci-fi, it's not fair if at the very end of the movie, they break a rule in order to save the day. Right. You tell me that all (laughs) the time, that that's not allowed and it's not fair. You can't play the game the whole time one way, break the rule, and then totally save the day. Feels cheap. Bullshit on that, right? Yeah. So I don't know. It definitely incapacitated him enough for Ford's narrative to play out now. So we see Teddy take her away and simultaneously Ford kind of is having his town party set up behind over. You could see Ford comes on over and starts chit-chatting with Man in Black. I guess I never really thought of all the proximity and all that. It's not far away at all. I mean, honestly, it's still pretty much it's daylight when Ford comes like wandering over. They Mm -hmm. kind of take off on the horse and Ford comes over. It could have been 
five minutes that he was laying there on the ground. It probably wasn't that long. That His eyes were fluttering around. Hilarious, you know. People, <laughs> Ford's over there watching this whole people shit. People like dragging out tables and they are they're putting up tents. Meanwhile, she's like breaking his arm over in the church. Really, it really yeah. was happening yeah. down like really close proximity to one another. It was Ford has to add a little, put a little salt in those wounds and say, "Why don't you come to my party tonight?" Like, oh Jesus, like just to kind of like screw it in there, like. This is a fake place. Like, we're right over there. Like you said, making the chocolate fountain. You dork, you didn't even notice. You're over here choking out a robot. (laughs) Paul's totally laughing about choking out a robot with the chocolate fountain. (laughs) It is funny, right? Yeah, Yeah. Oh my God, too funny. We do follow the path of Dolores and Teddy. And we get to that beach that was promised. We have this lovely death scene with the two of them, only to have it end with a spotlight on the two of them in a truly Truman Show moment. Oh, yes. Where, right? Is that exactly oh, what yeah. you thought? No, with gotta, the waves in the background and, yes. Everything. And the music piped in. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. And then, and like, yes, exactly. Uh-huh. Which, if you, do you remember that Ed Harris was the director of Truman Show? Like, he was the one oh, yeah. in the show directing Yeah, that's right. Beret and show. all. Yep, with the beret backwards Uh and everything. Yep. What did you think? When they were kind of backing the camera up and we realized we're going down an aisle and we realized there's an audience watching the death scene on the beach, were you guys significantly wowed that this had turned out to be a true narrative? Well, for a second, when the spotlight came on, we've seen that. And that was a that was when they were fixing the reveries, mm-hmm. and, and they had I, and the, I thought, all the cleanup crew came. But then when the music changed into that kind of megaphone tinny thing, then I thought, oh, okay, I get what's happening. Mm-hmm. All right. What'd you think though? Were you like, oh, or were you like, wah, wah. no? I was like, because oh, uh, then for them to wind up there with all those pieces like that, it made me a believer that Ford scripted the entire thing and and knew that the human parts, Felix and like the man in black and all that, like they would perform the way that he predicted they were they would perform. It, it made me go back and question like Cullen and Elsie and those other ones and be like, well, it's like they were going to mess up his plan. <laughs> basically. So let's talk about that for one second. Adam, did you put together how many things had to go right for them to end up on the beach when the board was there at that exact party time moment where they were sitting in those chairs to watch that happen, did you even realize how many things had to happen? And do you think it's realistic that with all the guests in the park Mm -hmm. and all the various things that can happen, was it realistic that they could have that happen on cue? I think it's, it's a little more fudgeable than you're giving it credit for. Okay. That the timeline isn't so static or so rigid where, you know, this act is going to take this amount of time, this act, you know, is going to take this amount of time, and that this act only outcome to complete on the beach is this successive act. I think it's more, you know, choose your own adventure kind of book or something like that where you can go through this spider web and get to the same ending by going through another spider web. And, uh, and so that there'd be multiple ways to get at that beach, but no matter what you did, you were going to get to that beach. And so that, that I think is a much more doable type of narration or scripting or story writing that Ford could have partaken, especially with the number of hosts out there bringing a, a cattle stampede or something across men in black's tracks. And that all of a sudden slows him down an hour. So he doesn't make it to the next thing. You know, there, there'd be a whole host of things that, that could have happened like that. 
But I mean, it's definitely an incredible testament to to Ford's skills. And they definitely showed us that earlier. Do you guys remember when they they had the bank robbery situation, and then they found out that family was coming back to Sweetwater earlier than yes. expected? Mm-hmm. So then they did have to like quickly bring in the cavalry, literally, mm-hmm. and change it up and quickly respond. And so we got to think that I guess as a whole they have the ability to do that. And more tricky, I guess. There's even a thought that Ford would be able to do it clandestine, that mm-hmm. he would be able to make those cl- those cows do the stampede or whatever mm-hmm. and not have anybody else really give a hoot, security or anybody care if people were sort of out of their areas. Clearly, I mean, he had run of the run of the town. So the whole world, I should really say. So then we have this little split off that happens because he says to the cleanup crew guys, take Teddy, clean him up, get him to the party and put her down in the field lab cleanup area. So we have a kind of a split off where the party's going to go down and we're going to see some stuff happen over there. And then we're going to have conversations and filling in Dolores with Ford and Bernard. What did you guys think about calling that area the field house lab that turns out to really be that cottage in the woods? <laughs> that didn't catch me up. It was when Bernard shows up and Ford is like, so where you've been? Where have you been? You know, after having <laughs> told him to kill himself last mm-hmm. weekend, he's totally not surprised <laughs> or anything to see that Bernard just shows up in his bat cave. <laughs> you know, his bat cave. That's hilarious. That's where he's got all his little parts. In that conversation, we get a lot of backstory. We have this Michelangelo painting. Did anyone have that background art history-wise? Paul actually has an art degree. Adam, did you take any art history in school? I have taken plenty. I have as well, but I had never heard any talk that the shape around God there with the Adam and the God moment was actually the form of the human brain. Anybody have any insight on that? Only that I was in the same position as you. I had not heard that. And supposedly this like is recent. I mean, they tried to make it sound like it took 500 years for anybody to make the connection. Are they maybe telling us that this prediction or realization happened perhaps even beyond In the future? Right. Beyond mm-hmm. where we are right now. Ergo, we couldn't have learned it yet. Maybe they're pointing out something that we will learn <laughs> in the future. Our children will learn in Art History 101. Creepy. So what do you guys think? What do you guys think of that explanation that really it wasn't God that gave us all this stuff, but it was the human brain that really did it? Or that God is a manifestation. What? You're blowing my mind. (laughs) Tell me more. That God was within the brain. And, you know, we're talking about the bicameral mind and, you know, everything that we've spoken about when it comes to bringing religion in here is about that it's a creation from oneself. I'm not overly religious let's just say and i don't want to really alienate anybody <laughs> who is but i'm more of the mind like god just created everything and then let it go watchmaker theory right sort of like an ant farm you know just let it go so that's how we handle our ants around here <laughs> whatever whatever man makes he makes Ford's whole explanation that, you know, he felt that he had had a change of heart with everything, finally understood what Arnold was saying and that they really were becoming conscious and they really were alive. He had to have this whole moment where he merged Dolores with this Wyatt narrative and decided that he couldn't make them live in this immortality where they were stuck in this in this world anymore. And this whole Oppenheimer's quote that any man's whose mistakes take 10 years to to fix must have been quite a man and it took 35 years to, to kind of make this mistake here and he was ready to fix it 
Do you guys believe that Ford truly did have this change of heart? Or is this an elaborate way to fake his own death and have a host Ford situation, whether the host is actually the one that gets shot out there at the party? Or is a host Ford going to go out in the world now? Is that who he was making in the basement? The, the guy who gets shot? The way, or what? the way this ends is a little like a, from a storyteller standpoint, I think it's a little like a have your cake and eat it too kind mm. of situation. I think it reminded me of, because everything does ultimately, Star Wars <laughs> in that when they made Star Wars, Darth Vader was not the dad. You know, Luke and Leia were not brother and sister because they didn't know they were going to have a sequel. And then when they had the sequel, then they made in made up more details. And they're like, yeah, that was true the whole time. <laughs> Applying that logic here, they didn't know if they were getting season two. Season one was really expensive. And oh. rocky, rocky, rocky. They they had to take a huge amount of time off. And it took, Adam, did you realize the budget is $100 million? dollars for this show wow can you wrap your brain around that because i cannot i can't it's a leap of faith wow so this had to be a blockbuster out of the gate because of how expensive this show was so i'm with you if they didn't get picked up they had to leave it where that was real life forward and the story wrapped up where this entire replay that we had of Arnold's death replays out with Ford only this time it's going to replay out in front of the board and press and all the people it really would have taken to finally close the park down and with an army of armed and able to kill insane hosts oh yes wandering in naked <laughs> did you did, have you looked up on the internet any of this stuff adam uh no. where <laughs> naked hosts where they have shown <laughs> At various times this season, they have shown this light table in Ford's office where there's been like the little model of the church and you can see trees and all that. I'm going to pause you. If you guys want to go see, it's exactly when Hale walks into his office and she kind of sits on the edge of the table. And if you look at what it is, guess what it is? Looks like battle plans. Uh, Specifically. <laughs> like, yeah, a row of people. Coming out of the trees. Uh, yes. Wow. But yeah. he's had it set up apparently this whole season. Wow. So yeah, if you look carefully, you can you can see it other times. That's pretty cool. I, I hadn't heard that. That's cool. Yes. She even sits her butt cheek on the side of it while she's saying, I got this all under control, Ford, and you're out, and your stories are poop. Because I know you. Exactly. Hasn't this what this entire thing's about? Oh, this Clementine with the rifles poking my butt cheek over here. Like, mm-hmm, hell, mm-hmm. You're still open to either way that this goes. It could be that Anthony Hopkins has tweeted out, it's been fun, ciao. Right, and Jon Snow died last year. Right? That's right. <laughs> and we know that they're keen on using social media to manipulate us. They're mm -hmm. real keen on that. So knowing that, it would not be weird to do that. Because also, Jeffrey Wright put out something when there was thought, did Bernard really die with the suicide? He put out like a, it's been real. Now, given that, obviously Ford's role, just being realistic, Anthony Hopkins is not 50 years old. He's he's a little bit older than that. It is foreseeable that he's going to take a much smaller role in the future with the idea that maybe he's gathering his little self elsewhere in some underground, some way to come reveal himself or whatever. I don't know. But he can take a much smaller role now because whether it's his real death or his fake death, he's still got to lie low. Mm -hmm. So that's still reasonable for it to turn out that way. Yeah. And that could always have been his own host self that he was making in his... Uh 
alternate bat cave. I still feel like, you know, they left us with enough enough open plot threads with Sizemore, Hale, and Stubbs being MIA, Elsie's MIA. Mm-hmm. We've got enough people and things out there that were never addressed in this episode that lots of things could very much be in the works. They left possible it. third source. This, uh, I like your idea of that, like there was somebody else, somebody acting as Arnold who was trying to maybe get logan is playing spoiler out there oh there you go logan is another excellent <laughs> thread that never got like a true ending in terms of like where is he now it's 30 years later we don't know where he is i feel like there was a ton in this episode that we did find out i liked a lot of the different parts i actually liked the death scene some of the special effects like i liked how when dolores shot him and it went through and then it also broke his champagne glass it was kind of Hot shit. I like that very well. <laughs> I also liked at the party scene when Man in Black is out there drinking by himself like a sad sack and he gets shot in the arm. <laughs> and rather than being like, oh, he like grins. Oh, yeah. Like he can't wait. Like it's like game on. Like, it's like It's like you see your friends run out in the cul-de-sac <laughs> with like their Nerf guns and you're like, yeah, this is happening. You like grab your stuff. They to shot run. him in his left arm and, and she broke arm. his right arm. <laughs> He's, he's, he's just gonna he's down like, too. He's down gonna, two now. He's gonna basically run. Like imagine him dead at the shoulders, just like running with like floppy arms at his side. It's kind of an awesome scene. <laughs> Laughing and smiling. <laughs> That's kind of amazing. Of course, you guys, we can't not talk about the idea that Dolores realizes that it's her voice the whole time that she has heard. Mm. Do you guys think this was really her free choice at the very end? Since we walked the entire path with Maeve and they showed us so much about how none of the escape plans were really her plans, it was not her free choice. And we really don't know if it was her free choice at that last second or not. We don't know. Was this Dolores's free choice? And is the idea of Ford basically telling her the plan, laying out the gun, laying out the dress and saying like, maybe I'll see you out there, maybe I won't. <laughs> is that enough to really manipulate someone into taking that final step Can you really call that free choice? Or is it really like we had kind of talked about the idea of raising a child all this time, telling them you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a doctor. Then they do make the choices because you set it all up all along the way and they become a doctor. Did they choose to become a doctor or did you just make that happen? What do you guys think? Did she pull that trigger fully on her own? Or did Ford set it up like you'll never be free unless you kill me? Basically making her feel like I have no choice. So it's not her free choice. It was the only choice she was being offered. I think it was ultimately her choice that the thing that she needed to become was the charter member of a new race of being that has accepted the responsibility of protecting themselves and is willing to do what it takes to survive. And so there she is, the first amongst what looked to be a couple hundred. (laughs) I think it was her choice. I, I definitely do. And uh and it and it could even be like Ford pushing the bird out of the nest in a way. Right. Uh but wait, you... on that analogy, mm-hmm. is it the bird's choice to fly if the bird got pushed out of the nest? No, but is it an actual choice? But does it not mean the bird can still fly? It's not his choice. He but he flew because okay. he was pushed to fly, but we still say he can fly. 
Okay, so if your choice is death, <laughs> right. if, if your, your mom just pushed you out of that nest, <laughs> I know that. Exactly. Happen. No, no, no. It's not. I'm not saying whether they could fly or not. I'm saying was it his choice to fly? If your choice is die or fly, is it fair to say he made the choice to fly? No, he made the choice not to die. Different. That's different than choosing to fly. He chose not to die. And so did Dolores choose to shoot Ford or did she choose not to continue to be raped and abused? But isn't that exactly what Paul said? I don't know. You all tell me. About becoming a member of a race where, or any kind of sentient being, where you're willing to protect yourself. So, okay. So then that's really the choice she made. She chose to to protect herself. And then, so then she had to sort of accept the consequences that that meant you would have to kill in order to protect yourself. That's where I think... I'm satisfied with that being her choice. I'm not satisfied with people who say she chose to kill (laughs) Ford. I say, Mm -hmm. boo hiss on that. If you don't think harder than that, I don't think you got the point. When Ford says that uh, you've gone through some suffering, but you've still got a lot of suffering to go, I think that this is what he means. If if you accept the mantle (laughs) of being a being, Mm -hmm. then you have to accept what comes with it, and it's going to really suck for a while oh yeah and especially i think that if you want to be a successful surviving population you are going to have to do things that by nature you don't want to do maybe your nature is i Mm -hmm. like live and let live but the reality of the situation is if you live and let live i'm gonna rape you every day so you make the choice. You're going to kill those people and you're going to survive and not only survive, but thrive. You're going to actually become more successful and move on. Or you're going to sort of, quote unquote, be a victim of your circumstances and have to just stay exactly where you are. I think this show this entire season have, has given us a ton of awesome questions. And if you wanted to look at this show as a catalyst for you to examine what you're doing in your life, ask yourself, am I living in a loop? Am I doing the same thing in and day in and day out? Am I so boring? Am I so a victim of my circumstances? And do I want to survive? Do I want to do more than that? Do I want to thrive? Then what do I have to lop out of my life? What Fords do I have in my life <laughs> that I need to say, sorry, no longer. I'm done. We're moving on. Even if that goes against your nature as who you really were. If anyone would like a ringtone of Caroline saying, I'm going to rape you every day, <laughs> just s- send us $5 and I'll make sure you get it. You know what? And if you send $10, I'll say it right to you like, Joey, I'll rape you every day. <laughs> That's for you, Joey. You know who you are. It's been great talking to you this week. Uh, we'll do that season long wrap up uh, since we have a whole year to do it. In the near I may future. come back. Who knows? Right. We, well, we know where to find you. Uh, it's been a great season. And the next TV show we will be looking at is Colony next month in January. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. Facebook or Twitter or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.